I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am a basic white male. Um, I am the Colorado starter pack, okay? I, I'm really into craft coffee. Um, I really like indie music. Um, I really like uh, going outside. I'm a big outdoor boy, uh, which means that I really like to fly fish. Now, I am not good at fly fishing, okay? I just want to get out there ahead of that and don't expect me to be like a really good fly fisherman. There's not famous fly fishermen that you would know, so we're going to move on. Um, I'm not one of them. I'm not good at it. And to be honest, it's a little bit silly that I like to fly fish because I'm allergic to fish. So I can't eat what I catch. I'm just out here giving fish lip piercings. Uh, that's like a hobby of mine. <laughs> it's just a, when, when you say it like that, it's mean. Like I'm just hurting fish. But it's really fun. And I usually go fishing with my good buddy, Pastor Will. We like to go fishing a lot. And we don't go fishing like every weekend. But we go fishing enough that I have had some pretty weird experiences fishing with Pastor Will. For one, like for instance, one time we went fishing in late January. And I, it's, yeah. And when you fly fish, you stand in the river. So that was dumb. Um, we're standing in the river in 19 degree weather. And when you cast a fly line, you want your line to be like flexible. And when it's 19 degrees and wet, it turns into a big sheet of ice. And so it's not really fishing. We left after that. Um, there was another time uh, we were fishing. Same scenario, except for it wasn't winter. We were going to get out of the river. And I stepped on this big rock and go to step on the riverbank. And then I stepped into a leg leg deep hole. And what I mean by that is the hole was as deep as my leg is long, which meant I slammed my body into the riverbank in an uncomfortable male way, let's say. Um, you know, inches from a flowing river. Um, another time we went fishing with Will and my buddy Paul. And Paul is a great fisherman, and he also likes hijinks, so we're fishing, and he just lobs a lizard at Will into the river, and it hits Will, like, right in the face, and then he has to rescue this poor lizard, and it was like, like, I'm disappearing, this is my Titanic moment. And then when we left that fishing trip, Paul threw a snake at Will, two reptiles, one trip. It was crazy. And there's usually hijinks and calamity, but almost never disaster except for this one time. Um, this one time in particular could have been really bad. We were fishing, and we had been fishing since sunrise. And like sunrise, sunset are like when the fishing is prime. And so we're standing in the river, and the sun's starting to come up. We've been there for hours at this point, and it's starting to get warm. So we want to move down or up river into the shade and find some more fish where they're not baking in the sun. And so we decide that rather than us like trying to navigate straight up river, we're going to cross the river behind us and go along the trail along the, the riverbank because that'll be faster. Now, when you cross a river, generally you want to make sure that the water you're about to walk through is not deeper than you are tall, right? Like that is, seems pretty obvious. And uh, the, the problem that is approaching is an obvious one. However, there is a deeper issue. Deeper issue. Anyways, uh, <laughs> The, the thing is, deep water in a river is really strong water. So, like, there's more water, which means the pressure, the force is a lot more. The water is heavier, I guess. I don't really know. I'm not a river scientist, so I'm just kind of up here talking. But we're, we decide to, like, go directly behind us straight across the river. And we are walking, and we find ourselves in belly button deep water, which is a very silly sentence about a very serious situation. <laughs> And um, so, like, the river, crazy thing about rivers is they don't stop, right? They just keep going whether you're on board or not. And so we get into this mid-belly button, mid-drift, 
deep water and the current is very, very strong. And all of a sudden, a fun day of fishing turned into a, I might drown today situation. And we're trying to walk and it gets to the point where I can't move anymore. Like the water is so strong, it's taking all of my might not to just end up in Delta. Like I am (laughs) at the river's mercy right now. And so long story short, we end up making our way back to where it was in shallow water and we didn't look behind us. We didn't check out the water that was behind us because we were too busy focusing on what was ahead. And the same is true about our lives. If we don't look forward, or if we look forward too much and forget what's behind us, we can end up in trouble. We need to look into our past and see where God has been in our lives. We need to look behind us and learn from our mistakes. That way we don't make the same mistakes. We don't end up in the same sketchy relationship. We don't end up doing dumb things again because we've already done them, right? We got to look back to see where God has been in our lives so that we can follow him and remember like what he's done in our lives. And, and it's important to do that so that we don't end up making the same mistakes. It's good to look forward. It's good to plan ahead, but it's essential to look backwards. Now, we're going to look at a story in Joshua 4 in the Bible. Now, the tribe of Israel is at this point is entering the promised land. After their time in the wilderness, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years, if you remember right. Like Moses led them out of Egypt. They wandered the the wilderness, and then Moses dies. Joshua takes over. That's where we are. And the people, there were people in this wilderness who never had a home. There were people who were just born out in the woods of Israel, and they're just hanging out. And they're like, yeah, it'd be awesome to set up shops somewhere instead of living in a tent. And that's where we're at, right? Israel never had a home until this point. Moses has passed away, and they're on their way to take the promised land. This area, the promised land, the place where modern-day Israel is, is called Canaan in the Bible. And it had been promised for generations. Way back in Genesis, there's a man named Abraham, and God told him he's going to be the father of many nations, and that they would inherit this land called Canaan, or the promised land, or another way they put it is the land of milk and honey, which I thought sounded like a delicious combination, but when I tried it, I was underwhelmed. So, from when God promises Abraham that they're going to inherit this land to when they actually do it is roughly 480 years. Almost 500 years have passed between when the promise happened to when they step in. And so the whole nation of Israel is just wandering the desert and they're traveling to where they're going to go. Now, that they had priests, they had all kinds of like carpenters and metal workers, and the priests had one specific job during this travel scenario. It was to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which is just a fancy name for a box that carried God's presence, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's staff. And I don't have any time to get into those things, but they're really interesting. If you want, we can talk later. But God commands them to cross the Jordan River. And so they come to this massive main river here in Israel, and they're supposed to cross it to enter the Promised Land. And God says this in Joshua 3.13, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. If this were a creek, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. If this were a ditch, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Even if it were a calm river, it's not that wild to cross a river unless you're like me and you don't pay attention and you step into like a big hole in the earth full of water. But it wasn't a calm river. It wasn't a stream. It wasn't a ditch. Joshua 3.15 says this, it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Or in other words, it was in flood stage, like flash flooding. And so this is the Jordan River when it's flooding. Check out this video. So, you see like the flat part there with the tree sticking out of it? That's a bridge. 
You see how the bridge is no longer, well, now it's no longer there, but it was no longer there in the video clip. And that water is crazy. It's moving so fast. Like there was a bridge and now there's no longer a bridge because the water is so aggressive. I don't care how strong of a swimmer you are. That's taking you down river. You can cut it, you can, you can turn it off. I don't care how strong of a swimmer you are. That river is taking you away. And I don't know if you can tell, but there was a bridge there and it's missing, it's gone. And that's why it matters that God said, I'll stop the river. The river will stop and it will stand up like a wall. And it goes on to say that not only did the water stop, but they walked across on dry ground. The spot where the water parted and, and God did that, it was dry. And not only that, but the priest stood in the middle of the river with the Ark of the Covenant on that dry patch until every single person crossed safely and peacefully. Then the Lord tells Joshua, the leader, to pick 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, and they are to select a stone from the middle of the river in the dry part where the priests are standing. They're supposed to take that stone, put it on their shoulder, and carry it to where they are camping for the night, and then build a memorial. And that is a weird way to commemorate Class River Day. That is just a strange thing to do if we're just on a field trip. But God commands this for a reason. Joshua 4, 6 through 7 says, We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. And the Bible says in another spot, These stones are there to this day. They are still there. God wanted them to remember where they had been and what he had done for them so that they could pass on that history for generations to come. So that when they got to the point where their children are asking questions about this memorial when they walk by it, what do these stones mean? Well, that's when God rescued us. That's when God helped us enter the promised land. And we need to put up memorials in our lives. We need to look back in the past, find some stones, if you will, and place them so that we remember where God has been and what he has done. Because someday, we're going to look back and share our testimony with somebody. We're going to share our testimony with maybe our kids or our family. And we're going to talk about these situations. They're going to ask questions. Hey, wh why do you have that tattoo? Or why, what's that thing on the wall? What, what happened when you were 18? And you're going to look back. And you've got to be able to either give God the glory or be able to tell the history of what God did. Because it's important we remember him. Because if we forget him, we end up turning to worship idols. We see the Israelites do this all throughout the Old Testament. They, they no longer pay attention to where they're going. They no longer pay attention to who God is. And they end up worshiping idols. They forget about the stones. They forget about where God has been. And we may not turn to like formally named idols like they do in the Bible. But we rather turn to things that we pursue rather than God. Whether it's comfort. Maybe comfort is, is the driving force in your life. Maybe it's fear. You let fear dictate your actions. Maybe it's insecurity or sexual fulfillment, seeking pleasure, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. We will turn to things and pursue them instead of pursuing God if we forget who he is and what he's done in our past. So we need to set up memorials so that we don't forget who sits on the throne of our lives. You see, our life is like a bow and arrow. To efficiently and effectively go forward, you have to go backwards, right? So like a bow, if you want the arrow to go forward, you have to pull it back and then you release it and it flies in a straight path most of the time. You have to go backward to go forward. We have to go backward to remember. But if we look back into our past without looking for God, 
it's like we're being pulled away or we're pulling back on a bow with a faulty string. And firing a bow with a bad string is extremely, a bow is under so much pressure that it will literally explode in your face if you dry fire it or if your string is bad. So it's, it can be extremely dangerous. It will blow up in your face. And the same is true for looking into our past without looking for God. It can blow up in our faces. Because we look at those wounds, we look at those negative things, we look at those moments of trauma and pain, and we don't add context to them. We don't see where God is, and then they just hurt us all over again. But if we're to look into our past and find where God was and see what he's done, it's like using a bow efficiently and effectively. When we look back into the past and find God, it's using the past for our good. It's using the past for our benefit, just like using a bow efficiently. Now, one of the major places we need to look back into our lives and our past is the hard and the negative places, the moments that have the most potential for hurt, trauma, and pain. And if we don't look to see where God was and add some context and perspective there, we'll fall victim to the wounds of our past. Maybe it's a health scare with your family member, or maybe it's a health scare with yourself. You you were sick, you didn't know what was going on, you needed a diagnosis. Well, where was God in that? If we look back and don't see him there and we don't look for him there, that's, that's just a scary situation. But if we look back and we see him, we can see how he protected us and provided for us. Maybe it was a scary situation with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you ended up in some trouble and, and some sketchy situation and you look back and you can totally see where God might have protected you. God kept you from making a huge mistake. Just because God was there, though, doesn't mean he let it happen. That's, that's the temptation. That's what the enemy might try and lie to us and say, is that because God was there in our past in these negative moments, that he must let it happen. I mean, how many times have you heard the question, well, if God's so good, if God's so loving, why does he let bad things happen? God doesn't let bad things happen. The enemy makes bad things happen. The Bible tells us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's trying to do that. And God makes all things for good. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now that word right there, everything, that in the original Greek means individually or each, every, any, all, the whole thing, everyone, all things, and everything. Every single thing, individually, every part of our life. And that that word where it says those who are called, that means the ones who are invited. And so if you know Jesus, if you love God, if you have a relationship with him, that means you're invited into his family. And that means he wants to make all things good in your life. Even the ones that are good, even the ones that are bad, and even the ones that have happened in the past. He wants to make all things for our good. So Pastor Sean is saying we need to remember these things so that we have a testimony one day, that we can tell people how good Jesus is, even when things don't go according to plan, even when they do fall apart. Another reason that we should look back at the past to reflect on where God is, is to look and celebrate the good things, which is sometimes a lot easier to find God in those things. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So everything good comes from our God. Your friends, your family, salvation, awesome memories, everything is a gift intentionally from him to you. Now the world likes to teach us that if you work hard, if you're a good person, then you earn good things, right? It's the premise of karma. But that's not actually true at all. The Bible says 
God freely gives good gifts to his children. God's love is not based on you. It's placed on you. So when we are given good things, we need to remember. We need to look back and reflect and say, what are the good and the perfect gifts that only came from God? Like the 12 stones from the story, we need to remember. We need to reflect. And some of those stones may represent hard, terrible, unpredictable things that God came through for you for. Or they might represent some really beautiful, perfect gifts that he intentionally gave you. A good gift should elicit a genuine response of gratitude. A genuine response of gratitude. Earlier this year, um, we lost our family dog. And uh, the Roseberries were dog people. Um, I know it says Ansel up there. I'm more Roseberry than Ansel, but patriarchy, you know? So um, we're, we're dog people. We love dogs. They mean so much to us. And this family dog had been around since I was 10 years old. He lived 15 years, 15 years, and we had to put him down a couple months ago. And it was hard because I look back at my childhood, and it was like it was wrapped up in this dog. He's so many memories that I have. He's in them vacations, just fond memories of being with my family that dog was in. And I remember the day that we got him like it was yesterday. We were in a Denver shopping mall. It was before like puppy mills were canceled. And um, we were walking by a window and I just, my eye was caught because there was this white fluff ball that was getting absolutely attacked by every other dog. I swear it was racism, okay? Like they were totally picking on him because he looked different. And he's just this tiny fluff ball trying to fend for himself. And so I dragged my parents in there. It was like a humanitarian mission. We have to save this little fluff ball. And we pull him out and he's so excited and he just starts running. And he runs right into the wall. And I was like, dad, he's broken. Can we have him? Can we save him? And we immediately named him Crash, and he became a part of the Roseberry crew. You can put a picture up there. Yeah, that's, that's Crash. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to tell the story. So uh, that's my boy. And we had to put him down. It was time. But for Christmas this year, uh, it would be our first Christmas in 15 years without this little guy. And so I wanted to commemorate. And so I got my parents, myself, and my sister a little ornament that had that picture of my dog and then a little message on the back that said, love crash. If you're not a dog person, you will not understand, okay? But it was, it was precious. And I was so excited to give this to my parents and to my sister because I knew that it would mean a lot. It was very intentional. I knew it would steward like this moment among our family. And it was 10 bucks, like by far the cheapest present under the tree, but the one that I was anticipating being opened. So it was Christmas morning, we all started opening our presents and I said, okay, this is the very first present that everyone's gonna open. And the response that I got was better than I could have imagined. Of course, my mom, Dean Roseberry, she just starts bawling, okay? And girlfriend doesn't bawl, but she was bawling. And my sister, who girlfriend does ball. She, of course, is an absolute disaster. My dad is crying. My husband is crying, okay? 
it was the sweetest, most precious moment, and it felt like, okay, we can say goodbye our final Christmas to our crashy boy. And it was such a sweet reaction to such a small thing. It was an ornament. But if someone in that room hadn't responded the way that I had expected, if they had somehow made it feel negative or smaller, or were like, oh, that's cute, let's move on, it's not that good of a gift, I would have been devastated. I would have been so upset. But instead, they had the perfect reaction. It was an ornament. How much more so the good things that God has done and given to us. Because I imagine him up there in heaven saying, okay, it's time. I get to give this perfect gift. I get to give her this beautiful friendship that she's been praying for. I'm so excited. I get to introduce him to this teacher that is going to pour into him and actually care for once. I am going to provide this source of income and this job that I know is so important. I'm going to give this car, and they are going to be so excited. I imagine him up there anticipating the reaction of his kids for his perfect gift can't wait. I can't wait to give it to them. What's our response down here? Are we thankful? Are we joyous? Are we so, so grateful in taking the moment to say, God, that was a good and that was a perfect gift that could only be given by you? Or do we just kind of move on? Do we just forget that the blessings in our life were intentional gifts that came from our Father. And then there's the hard times. The ones up in heaven where God is like, oh, I see it coming. Oh man, this is going to be really, really hard. How can I protect her? How can I help him? How can I make sure that there's nothing that they can't get through? How can I make this as good as possible where at least they can take a lesson out of the scenario? How can I turn this terrible thing and make it for good. And how many times do we just forget? Do we take it for granted? Do we forget to have the thought, yeah, that wasn't great, but it could have been so much worse. And yeah, that was a terrible experience, but look how I've grown. And look how much stronger I am. Do we set up the stones? Do we have that memorial, that moment of let me go back there and remember what God has given me and what he has saved me from. This is the perfect moment. 2023 has come and passed. We're entering into a brand new year. But let's not yet until we set up that memorial, until we take a moment to say, this is where you showed up for me. This is how you saved me. This is what you've given me. How many stones were in the story? Twelve. How many months are in a year? Twelve. A month for every stone. Probably wasn't intentional, but it's good preaching. It works. Twelve months in the year where we can go back and we can set a stone. This is where God showed up for me on this day. And I will not forget. 
and I will not take it for granted. And I will give the response that my God hoped for. So let's do it right now. Because we always say, oh, we'll do it later. I'm going to be a better person in 2024. Be a better person right now. Let's look back on it. Where did he come through for you? What has he given you? Your life doesn't have to be perfect for it to mean that your God cares about you. Just invite you to just close your eyes for a moment and kind of go through the year, beginning to end. First, start out with what's easy. What did he give you? What perfect gift? And no, it's not going to be necessarily something that can be purchased, but a relationship, a mentor, a memory, the opportunity to play on a team where you had the time of your life. That test that you should not have passed, but somehow you did. Set up a stone in your mind. I won't forget, God. Thank you. I won't take it for granted. I know that was from you. Stone for each of those moments. But what about the hard ones? Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't yet. But can we trust what his word says? He's going to turn the bad for good. What's the lesson? He didn't cause it, but man, will he teach you something through it. How are you stronger? How are you better? Set up a stone. So God, we choose to be intentional right now in this moment to apologize for the moments where we just glazed over your blessings, where we took them for granted or even mislabeled them for something that we earned. We're sorry. Every good and perfect thing, gift, person comes from you. So thank you for your blessings. Man, are we so undeserving. And we know that you didn't cause the hard or the bad things in our life, but we also know that they could have been so much worse without your protection, without your guidance, without your wisdom. And so God, we thank you that it didn't have to be the worst case scenario. That we're still standing here today saying I survived and somehow I know that I know that I know that I will come back better for this. And that in a few years, I can say, I wouldn't have had it any other way. We set up these stones as a memorial in our hearts and our minds to you to say we will not forget. And one day we will use these stones as a reminder to not just ourselves, but other people of who you are and your faithfulness to each of us. We love you so much, Father. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. 
For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.